Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with Tom Dorian. Tom, you gonna eat those cookies you got next to you? You know those are cool, aren't they? They're very nice cookies. They look yeah. they look very healthy. We might need to check with the management and make sure that it's okay to have those here. Why? Because they weren't cooked here. I think our guest snuck them in here. Listen, our guest is the head chef here at the Catholic Cafe, so I think if anybody's going to bring something in, it's okay. Yeah, but you've got to be careful which door you bring it in. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> well, speaking of our guest, we have Shay Ben. We have Father Shay Ben, <laughs> Father Ben Bradshaw. <laughs> A priest for the Diocese of Memphis, and Father Ben is going to join us. Father, welcome to the luxurious mm. corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. Thank you so much. Good to be here. We are going to take a heady topic on today, and I say heady because it's a, it's just a vast topic, and that's going to be the legacy, the writings, the the import of John Paul II, mm. our previous Holy Father, a beloved and wonderful holy man, who when he died. I was amazed. I guess not amazed, but I was. I was just pleased to see that like millions of people came to his funeral, and so he's obviously had such a great impact not only on the church but on the world. And I thought maybe you'd be a great guy to come and talk to us a little bit about that. Were you there? I was there for one of the masses of remembrance that the nine masses that follow right. the burial. Mm-hmm. There would be uh, nine masses, and I was there for numbers eight and nine. I happened to be going wow. to Rome at that point. That was and, wonderful. It was beautiful. And then you happened to be there when Pope Benedict was. When Pope Benedict was elected okay. at the same time. So that was an exciting event. What? No kidding. But, Father Ben, you, you do love John Paul II, as so many do, and you've, you've read a lot of his works, and you've studied a lot of, of what he's offered the church. I would thought maybe you'd be a great guy to, to bring into the cafe here and talk a little bit about the legacy of John Paul II. What an honor. It's, um, it's incredible, this man, just the impact that he had on the world. There was uh, George Weigel, his official biographer, says that there was no other human being in the history of mankind that was seen live more than Pope John Paul II. Hmm. He traveled the distance of the earth to the moon and back over three times. His funeral mass was arguably the largest uh, religious gathering in the history of mankind, if you consider all those that watched on TV. Uh, It's estimated, NBC estimated, that there were over 2 billion people that watched on TV, and with an additional about 8 million in and around Rome when you were there during the funeral mass. And they called it the Novum Dialis, the nine nine days of uh, mourning, right? Mourning, right? And following a novena. Right of uh, prayer and a special remembrance for the Roman Pontiff, and so they do this when a pope dies, and um, and of course usually the the vestments that are used are black, but the, this man clearly had a huge impact on humanity. This he's not a Catholic pope; he's a human pope. Well, let's talk about that because you know he was a wonderful Catholic pope. I mean, mm-hmm. he had so much impact on the church, but his appeal went way mm-hmm. beyond the church. I mean, just to have mm-hmm. that many people show up at his funeral. And especially so many heads of state and so many places where you would never thought they would have even cared mm-hmm. about the Catholic Pope. Right. Right. And they all show up in respect for this man. What is it about him that went beyond all of these uh, cultures throughout the world? There's, there's an expression that true holiness is authenticity. 
uh, true holiness is authenticity. The closer we get to God, the more authentic we become. And I think what they saw in him, especially if we look at the World Youth Days, uh, millions and millions and millions of, children, of, of youth coming from all over the world to see this man. Um, and we think, well, what did they see in this guy? I mean, he, you know, in some ways, especially towards the end, he would be drooling. I mean, he was, he was old. And we say, well, what did they see in him? What they saw is something genuine, something authentic. And if we look at a lot of the world that a lot of youth come from, they come from fractured homes. They come from cultures that are kind of wishy-washy. Um, they come from a lot of times, uh, um, you know, either abusive families or uh, multiple relationships. And they want something stable. And I think what they saw in him is someone genuine. And Andre Frossard, who was an atheist, and he converted to Catholicism, he said he went to the installation mass of John Paul in October of 79. And after he heard his great homily on Be Not Afraid, he said he wired back to um, his newspaper and he said, this is not a pope from Rome. This is a pope from Galilee. This wow. is a pope from of uh, biblical proportions. That, now, was was he an atheist at the time? He was an atheist who became okay. Catholic. Oh wow! And, and there's another man um, named Peter Savald who was who was also uh, he was also atheist. And after he interviewed our present pope Benedict the Sixteenth, he became a devout Catholic as well. So it's wow. interesting to see that um, uh, these men never set out to. Uh, proselytize in, 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 in any way, but set out to bring truth to a culture. You will find the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, obviously this was a great man. I guess continues to be a great man if we understand the, the teaching on the communion of saints. But they say that history makes the man, and, you know, you are the summation of your history. Let's talk about his early years. He was a man with a lot of different interests, wasn't he? He was. It's incredible. Most Everybody in his family had died by the time he was 20 years old. He had a brother, Edmund, who was a doctor. Uh, shortly after getting his doctorate, um, he, he was ministering to sick people. He contracted uh, the illness himself. I think it was smallpox, if I'm not mistaken, and died. Had a big impact on him. His dad was uh, in, the, in the military. Carol Voiti, his father's name was, uh, which translates as Charles. Um, and he died along with his mother when he was his mother Amelia when he was just very young. So he lost everybody. He he, most of his friends growing up were Jewish. Uh, Yerzy Kluger, many of these men, uh, these young men growing up were close friends. So he was in Vadovica where he grew up. Um, it was if I'm not mistaken about 30 percent Jewish, and so he he was deeply deeply connected with the with Jewish faith his whole life all the way up until. When he in 2000, when he made the great jubilee, uh, he went to to the Holy Land to Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial, where he prayed in Hebrew. It, it was amazing. He lost many many friends in the Holocaust, and many years later, he would write a, a document called "We Remember: Reflections on the Shoah," in which he shares a lot of that. Of course, as a bishop, um, he lost many of his priests to the communists as well. Um, he was very, very deft in dealing with the communists. If you read um, Cardinal Stanislav Jivish, his, his secretary, who now has his old job and as the Archbishop of Krakow, he writes in his reflections um, a lot of the difficulties that, that John Paul went through, having his house bugged by the communists and always being trailed by the communists as well. Hmm. Pretty amazing. Now, now, he was a lover of the arts. Uh, he was an actor. And even had an underground theater and things like that. How did that really affect his 
his pontificate. Hmm. He brought all those talents to his pontificate. And um, he wrote a, a, a small book called a Roman Triptych. And he talks about, it's all poetry, and he talks about the beauty of life, the beauty that we see in life. And he also wrote uh, The Jeweler's Shop, which is a play, and where it talks about, the accentuates the beauty of marriage. And he brought his own gifts to uh, his pontificate. He didn't check those at the door, so to speak. He brought those to his pontificate, which we also see now with our present pope as well. John Paul encouraged him as Cardinal Ratzinger to bring his own talents to his own writing. And so he had a deep, deep love for the arts, especially art. He said John Paul would uh, he'd talk about in his theology of the body, the beauty of the depicting the body and its holiness. You know, if we just look at the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo depicting, you know, the naked form and its holy goodness. When you see the body, it draws you to God. And this is one of the things he accentuates over and over again, even with great church liturgy and beautiful church music. Now, also, I know that he was involved in the Second Vatican Council. He went to the council, young bishop, very young bishop. Uh, and, of course, they called the council in, in 59, uh, John the Twenty Third, And he goes there in 1962, this newly minted bishop. Nobody knew who he was. And so he goes, and, and uh, they had arranged all the bishops according to seniority, you know, so he's probably back towards the front door, you know. <laughs> In the nobody, peanut gallery. Uh, exactly, you know, nobody knew who he was. And it was amazing. The, the council he always referred to as his theological lodestar. This guided everything he did. His mission, his mission, Cardinal Wyszynski came to him. He was the cardinal, the primate of Poland, and he came to him the day of his election as pope, and he said, your goal will be to lead the church into the third millennium into the year 2000, even though he saw that at his goal to bring the church into the millennium, okay, he always referred to the council as his theological lodestar. And of all the 16 council documents, Gaudium et Spes, which translates as the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world, this is the document he refers to over and over and over again. That's beautiful. So he was obviously very involved in the council believed in the council, loved what the council taught, and then made that council, brought that council out to the people for the years of his pontificate. Absolutely. It's incredible. If we just look at history, if we just step back and look at what happened in the last century, we had men like Mao Zedong, uh, Joseph Stalin, Franco, Mussolini, Hitler, killed millions upon millions upon millions of people. Um, George Weigel said, mountains of corpses and oceans of blood. So when, when um, John the Twenty Third sent out a letter to all the bishops of the world, about 3,000, 2,800, and he said, what do we need to talk about at the council? What do we need to talk about? And John Paul wrote back a letter, and he said, we need to talk about the sanctity of the human person. We have lost it. And if we just look at the, the last century, I think that's just a historical fact. And so this is really the guiding theme of his entire pontificate human dignity and its beauty. Well, wonderful, Father Ben. We're going to come back and we're going to talk more about John Paul II, his legacy, and all the all the great things he's done for the church and for the world. But before we do that, we do want to remind folks at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, you can hear this show and every other show we've recorded is on that website. It tells you all about podcasting if you're interested in that as well. And also, I'd like to hear from you myself. I'd love you to email me at deaconjeff.com at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we're going to be back in just one moment. 
Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. John Paul II was one of the most prolific popes in history. He left as a gift to the church thousands upon thousands of writings on virtually every topic regarding faith, morals, and the human condition. These letters, books, papers, proclamations, speeches, and homilies will be read, poured over, examined, critiqued, commented upon, argued over, and indeed treasured for years to come. The person of John Paul II is clearly revealed in his writings. A closer examination of his fruitfulness clearly demonstrates where his passions lay. He was intensely positive in his outlook on the Christian experience. He said, Do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are an Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. He was focused intently on the well-being of the family and saw in this domestic church the hope of future generations to be protected from negative influences in the world. He told us, The great danger for family life in the midst of any society whose idols are pleasure, comfort, and independence lies in the fact that the people close their hearts and become selfish. He was a strong and constant advocate for those most vulnerable in society. He said, The cemetery of the victims of human cruelty in our century is extended to include yet another vast cemetery, that of the unborn. He helped crystallize the church's teaching on the necessary relationship between faith and reason. On this subject, he stated, Science can purify religion from error and superstition. Religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. More than any other pope, he found himself on the world stage, addressing nations and championing the fundamental and God-given dignity of every human person. He wrote, Social justice cannot be attained by violence. Violence kills what it intends to create. He also loved the arts. He mused, I have a sweet tooth for song and music. This is my Polish sin. But perhaps his greatest quote was one that was never spoken out loud by John Paul II. As he suffered his final years, months, days, and hours to the very moment of his death, he never complained about his failing health. He took this dignified road to demonstrate to the world the need to accept the crosses which God gives us and willingly unite our suffering to those of Jesus. A lesson for us all. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back at the Catholic Cafe. I'm still Deacon Jeff, and we're still talking about John Paul II. And we've got Father Ben Bradshaw here to, to talk with us a little bit about uh, John Paul II. And so, Father Ben, in between our break, as we always do, we have the most interesting conversation. <laughs> and we started to talk about how John Paul II impacted you personally, where your life was going. And obviously, he had something to do with your becoming a man of God, an ordained priest for the Catholic Church. Tell us a little bit about that. I would say it, it's incredible. During, during my life, I had a lot of ups and downs in my teenage years, a lot of peaks and valleys. Don't and, we all, though? Oh, my heavens. And, and, uh, and thanks be to God, I had two wonderful parents that really helped guide me through a lot of that. Even though, you know, we certainly had tiffs as well. Just Were like, they blind and deaf? Is that <laughs> <laughs> They're now saints. I can tell you that much <laughs> after good, dealing with me. 
But during that time, my mom really started encouraging me to 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 read the writings of John Paul II. And um, and it was funny because right about that time, I mean, I grew up Catholic, but never really read much scripture. And I started reading John Paul before I started reading more scripture. And I noticed that John Paul always refers to scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really beautiful because he, um, I started reading more of his encyclicals. And, um, and of course, I mean, I was never versed in theology. I would just read something. I said, man, that's so profound. Right. And I, one of the things that someone once recommended to me is to actually bring it to prayer, to, to bring some of what he says and what uh, some of the great church documents as a form of prayer, spiritual reading. So I would sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I go to an adoration chapel and I'd say, Lord, this is really cool stuff. What do you have to tell me here? And so I'm, I'm feeding my mind, but I'm also asking the Lord to feel my heart. Right. You know, so we call it in Latin, fidet sit ratio, faith and reason, Lord. And it began to change me. And I began to say, this seems genuine. This seems something I want more of. And ultimately that led to the priesthood. I, it wouldn't be the only thing. You had several things in your life, and God was calling you to the priesthood. But uh, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> me too. So in his 27 years as pope, he had 14 encyclicals, mm-hmm. and he had innumerable other writings, mm-hmm. apostolic constitutions and apostolic exhortations mm-hmm. and apostolic letters and whatnot. Uh, that fill volumes. Right now, are these are these documents that will be read once and forgotten? Hmm. I think I know the answer here, <laughs> but I, I but I, I liken them, I think, to the writings of the early church fathers. Yeah, there's been two other greats in the history of the church that have been the popes: Leo the Great, Pope Saint Leo the Great, and Gregory the Great as well. And many people think that John Paul will be up there next to them, John Paul the Great. In fact, when Cardinal Angelo Sodano was writing his reflections the week of John Paul's death, he referred to uh, John Paul as John Paul the Great. Hmm. When he delivered it, he doesn't, didn't mention it, but it was in his writings. And many people think that he will be up there next to them. The, um, what's called the Insignamenti Giovanni Paolo Segundo, the, the magisterial teachings of John Paul II, Tom, um, you want to write that down? Got it. Napkin? Got it. Check uh, it. <laughs> that it, they say uh, George Weigel says it stretches over 30 linear feet of stre- shelf space. This man wrote literally on almost every subject in the church, uh, something on every subject in the church. Even people that disagreed with him, even his enemies, so to speak, respected the man as a holy, holy man of God. It didn't hurt, of course, that he was fluent in nine languages, mm. would give Christmas and Easter greetings in 52 languages. I mean, he, he was the great communicator. He really was. And this is what petrified the communists, because the communists recognized this before anybody else. Uh, the, they recognized his gifts when he was Cardinal Wojtyla of Krakow. This was their great question. How on earth did this happen? And uh, it is only by divine providence that he was uh, permitted to go home in June of 1979 to uh, Poland and to celebrate Mass in Poland. And if you talk to a lot of people that live uh, behind the Iron Curtain during those times in Poland, and you say, what was it? What was the key element that led to the downfall of the communist project without one shot being fired? Almost without fail, what they will say is June of 1979 when John Paul II returned home as, in many ways, a conquering king. Now, I also understand, I'd read that that he had asked his secretary to either uh, destroy his personal papers. Was that 
But that didn't happen, did it? <laughs> he didn't. Every year during his Lenten uh, retreat, one of the things that he would do is he would uh, go back and look at his will, which some people would sit are kind of sad. But John right. Paul said, look, we are each going to go home to the Lord one day. And he would go back and he would review his will. And there were several times in his pontificate that he wrote his will, his last will and testament, which you can find online and they sell in Vatican bookstore. And it was actually very beautiful because he does he does call for this. Um, and uh, Cardinal Stanislav Jivish, um, who was his secretary for 40 years, who's now the Cardinal Archbishop of Krakow, um, decided uh, not to do that. Thanks be to God. I think it was providential because... Um, we learn from this, from the points that he makes. Would that be a mortal sin? <laughs> Not to obey the, <laughs> the Holy Father? <laughs> yeah, I can't quite answer that one. <laughs> but in terms of his his impact on the church... Not only his writings, but all the things that he did, his, his, his primary teachings. You talk about a lot of it is the dignity of the human life. What were his most impactful moments or uh, efforts in the church? It's, it's, it's really quite amazing. His, his outreach to other faiths. I mean, it, people always remember when he, would, when he would fly to a new country, first thing he'd do, get off the plane, go down the steps, and kiss the ground. Um, he was the great communicator, not so much... Not only for his words, but for his actions. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's been married more than 30 seconds <laughs> can tell you that, uh, that our words are important, but our actions are even more important, right? We speak love to our spouse with our actions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he understood this. And um, he re- reached out to people of all faiths, of all Protestant backgrounds, um, saying, look, yes, do we agree on this? Yes. We agree on this? No. Okay, we have differences. We're not denying that. Okay, but we are all humans, and this is what the Second Vatican Council said: the document Nostra Aetate on uh, other religions and their relations to us, and the, the decree on ecumenism as well. And he said, "We are all sons and daughters of God," and uh, it's very, very powerful. His, I think, probably what I remember the most uh, is just him standing in front of the Wailing Wall and, and placing a prayer in that. And everything kind of changed at that moment. It was it was just such a powerful moment. It's as if the the, the world stopped turning, and him praying there, and and uh, and asking God to have mercy and on all humanity and to be with us. He also made a lot of saints while he was a pope. Wasn't sure he? did. They yeah. called him the saint maker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He made over, if I'm not mistaken, over 450 saints and about four times that many uh, beatifications. Among the most great, the greatest saints he ever made, of course, Saint Edith Stein. I was at her canonization in 1998 in Rome. A beautiful day with John Paul II, and some of the other great, great saints that he made. It was, it's incredible. The Blessed's Blessed Miguel Pro. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, examples. And of course, the the Church doesn't make saints. Right. We declare saints. Yes. We don't do this for the person. We do this for the people of the Church, right? To say, look, this is a great example of someone to follow. Mm-hmm. He felt very strongly about that and thought that we needed. This was a time in the world when we need to have those role models. Mm-hmm. And he caught a lot of flack for that. I mean, there were people within the church that said, look, you know, you're making this too easy, right? And he said, no, these are holy people. And if you think about the persecutions in the last century and all the – we had more martyrs in the last century than we had in all the centuries of the church combined. Um, and so it – it's 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 natural to to realize that we had as well many holy people that died for their faith, which still happens to this day. Mm-hmm. And there were so many good and uh, 
wonderful, long-lasting gifts he's given the church and to the entire world. One of those great things is the Catechism of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. We only have a few minutes left, but can you tell us a little bit about what the Catechism is all about? We refer to it all the time on the Catholic Cafe, and it's a wonderful document that allows us to basically read what our faith teaches. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? October 11th, October 11th, 1962, uh, John, uh, Pope John XXIII opened the Second Vatican Council. Um, This is the 21st Ecumenical Council. Exactly 30 years to the day, October 11th, 1992, John Paul II releases the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, And if you, the very first pages of the Catechism, there's a document called Fide Depositum, the Deposit of Faith. And John Paul refers to the Catechism as a sure and certain norm, teaching element uh, for the Catholic faithful. Okay? There's no, this is divinely inspired, and if you look at the bottom of every page, it gives references to where we are getting what we're getting with our 2,000 years of history. And um, the the man that was in charge of this project is our present Pope. He and Cardinal Christoph Schonborn from Austria, um, they were the ones that got all this together. It took them seven years. It was originally printed in French, and um, they, they got it together in 1985. The bishops had what's well, called an extraordinary synod in 1985 in Rome, and that's when they decided to do it. And um, I, that was 20 years of the closing of the council. And so it's been such a great gift, and I always, I really, uh, I always suggest to people, again, use this as a prayer book, not as a reference book. Pray with the catechism. Sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament and let it touch our hearts. You know, in that document that you mentioned at the front of the catechism, He does say, may it serve the renewal to which the Holy Spirit ceaselessly calls the Church of God, the body of Christ, on her pilgrimage to the undiminished light of the kingdom. Mm. He's got big plans, or had big plans, for the catechism. That's right. That's right. And and we have many other... more, as they say, user-friendly versions that kind of translate into everyday language that are a little bit more user-friendly, too. Well, it's a wonderful gift, and John Paul II was a wonderful gift to the Church. Now, Tom, normally we rate the show at this point. We're talking about such a great... uh, Wonderful a, a show. A great and wonderful uh, man, John Paul II. They're all wonderful. How are we going to rate this show? You know, I'd say on a scale of 0 to 11, I'd give it an 11. An 11. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. 11. Praise God. <laughs> that's, that's also the magic number to chocolate chip cookies, isn't it? It is. It's 11 months think alike. Yes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's right. Well, I usually go for 22 chips in every cookie. <laughs> okay. I understand. Father Ben Bradshaw, thank you so much for being with us and sharing with us about your love of John Paul II and our church's love for John Paul II. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you build up great saints for your church on earth, holy men and women who guide, protect, and further her mission to bring all your creation closer to you. Instill in us the desire to hear the words and imitate the deeds of these great and holy people. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.